0: We find the gears of time grinding away, and as they do every day, every week, every month, every year, we often find ourselves asking, how long, O Lord? Turning your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2, where this morning, the specific issue of how long revolves around how long will it be? till faith becomes sight. How long do we wrestle with the brokenness of this world and sin in our lives? And when will we actually experience the fullness of the promises of God so that all evil around us and in us is ultimately defeated? Several years ago, there was a movie released called Rabbit Hole. It's an all-star cast headed by Nicole Kidman. Her character in the movie and her husband lost their four-year-old son in a car accident eight months previously. They've decided it's time to go to a grief and loss support group. And during their first visit, as they sit down, there's another couple sharing about the loss of their daughter, and the anniversary of that loss was that previous week. The camera zooms in on Nicole Kidman's character, and she listens to this couple as they express their grief. But then they turn to a really shallow spiritual platitude. And as you watch, I'm sure you've heard that platitude before. We pick up the action as Nicole Kidman, listening to this couple, is clearly processing her own grief and loss, and you'll see how she responds to a shallow answer to a really deep question. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you as you see what's going on inside of her. no how many of us are willing to be that honest and vulnerable in our wrestlings with God? On the other hand, like Kidman's character, how many of us stop wrestling with God? Check out. Get up and leave. So many of us are facing so many questions right now that have sort of surfaced and bubbled up through the COVID pandemic. People all around us, people all around the world are asking questions they haven't asked perhaps in a long time. What exactly do I believe? Where is God in all of this? And some people, like that couple, settle for soupy spiritual platitudes that are not even in line with Scripture. Others, like Kidman's character, are checking out, getting up and leaving, and then there's some who are waiting before God with their deep questions about brokenness and sin and trusting in faith that God will show up. Habakkuk is one of those kind of people. He's wrestling vulnerably, honestly before God. He's asking his questions, how long, O Lord? And he's waiting in faith. And man, does God show up. Let's review where we've been in Habakkuk. The Old Testament people of God are outwardly religious, but inwardly checked out. And Habakkuk is frustrated. God, why aren't you dealing with this? God responds and says, I am going to deal with this. I'm going to bring a wicked, cruel people, the Babylonians, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem and carry off my people into exile. Well, now Habakkuk has another question a question we've heard many times during this COVID crisis. God, doesn't that make the cure worse than the disease? And then God replies again to Habakkuk. But it's not a reply meant just for him. It's meant for all of God's people, for all ages. We're going to cover a verse this morning that is most likely the most important statement in all of Scripture. I have your attention. God says, as the gears of time grind on, and as you long for faith to actually become sight, the righteous, he says, live by faith. Again, we often stand up when we're together, and uh, I'm asking us to go ahead and practice that posture of reverence for God's Word as I read Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is God's Word. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what He will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, so this is God now talking. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul, now he's talking about the Babylonians, the Babylonian soul, actually representative of everyone. Uh, who lives self-sufficient, self-reliant lives. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And now God contrasts people who live by faith. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Then he talks about the Babylonians again in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. That's where we get the phrase, greedy as the grave. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And through all the trials and temptations of life, he calls us to live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, this perhaps is uh, Habakkuk 2.4, the most important statement in all of Scripture. You repeat it again and again in various portions. Lord, enable us to process what it means to be righteous, and to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and sit if you've been standing, of course. Verse 4, The righteous shall live by his or her faith in grace. As we live the life of faith, faith never moves us beyond grace. Faith simply leads us more deeply into faith. So three ways we're called to live by faith in God's grace. First of all, live by faith in the justifying power of grace. Again, look at how he talks about the Babylonians in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. The Babylonians, though historical... True history, they also represent all evil. They represent sin. They represent pride and arrogance. They represent self reliant, self sufficient independence from God. People who choose the way of pride. And then God contrasts this with the way of faith, the way of dependence. The righteous shall live by his face. Now, the question is, who are the righteous? How do we know if we're righteous? Well, the term righteous is a legal term. It it actually means a, a legal declaration by a judge that the person being judged is found to be in the right. So then the question is, how do we gain that declaration? How are we justified? Well, to understand that, we need to look at some Old Testament scripture. We first see this idea way back in Genesis 15. You all know of Father Abraham and his wife, Sarah. In Genesis 15, God brings Abraham out at night and tells them to look up at the stars. And he says, if you can count the number of the stars, that's how great your descendants will be. Now you need to realize Abraham and Sarah at this point are very, very old. And Sarah's womb is barren. So how in the world can this vision of the stars related to and inheritance and descendants, how could it possibly be true? Well, Genesis fifteen six then says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, as Abraham believed the promise of God, God, the judge, declared him righteous, that he was right with God. You know, so many people think that we're right with God by our works. We're right with God by our behaviors. If our good behaviors outweigh our bad behaviors, then we're righteous. But the righteousness that comes by faith has nothing to do with us performing to build our own record of righteousness. God gave Abraham a vision, but he also gives Habakkuk a vision. And he tells him to write it down for all generations. Paul basically explains Habakkuk 2 verse 4 in Philippians 3 verse 9. Listen carefully. Paul says he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that he builds by his behaviors, that comes from the law. But instead, he says he wants a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is is the key to the gospel. This is the key to Scripture. This was the key to the Reformation in the 1500s. and this is the key to our lives now. Paul says something similar in Galatians 3:11 where he actually quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4. He says, "Now it is evident, that no one is justified, no one is righteous, no one is declared right with God before the law. In other words, under God's law, we could never attain our own righteousness. Jesus said, you heard it's been taught, you should not commit murder. But I say to you, everyone who's angry has committed murder. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but everyone who looks upon someone with lust, is guilty of adultery. Jesus strengthened the law to drive us to despair of building our own record of righteousness so that we would be open to the righteousness that is declared of us as we believe God's promise of grace. Paul goes on in Galatians 3, verse 11, "'For the righteous shall live by faith.'" In Romans 4, verse 5, Paul says this, that to the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, faith is counted as righteous. Now notice that. God God doesn't justify the good. God justifies the ungodly. As they recognize their ungodliness and undeservedness, And that faith in Christ is counted, reckoned, credited to us as righteousness. The righteousness from God that is by faith is a passive righteousness. In other words, it's a righteousness that we receive by faith that we don't lift a finger to attain the righteousness from God that is by faith is an imputed righteousness. In other words, it's a righteousness of someone else that is imputed or declared to be true of us. And of course, we know the righteousness that is imputed is the righteousness of Christ. Now, the righteousness of Christ involves both his active and passive obedience. The act of obedience of Christ was Him actively obeying all the law. Not just the externals of not murdering, but the internals of not becoming angry in a sin. Jesus actively obeyed the law for us. That's Christ's act of obedience. But we also need Christ's passive obedience. The passive obedience of Christ was him simply hanging on the cross and receiving the wrath of God. So we're righteous by faith in the justifying power of grace. That leads us to the doctrine of union with Christ. I think I've shared this illustration with you before, but, but this book, let's say the Bible, represents Christ's act of righteousness. This is is him obeying the law. All of these scriptures, all of that represents Christ's obedience. And my notes that are black, my notes represent my sin. When we put our trust and faith in the justifying power of grace, we are baptized into union with Christ. And my life then, through faith, is hidden in Christ. Before God, so that when God looks at me as I believe the promise and it's counted to me as righteousness, God sees Christ's righteousness, and that is mine, just as if I'd been the one who obeyed the entire law, and I'm wrapped up in Christ's passive righteousness too, and God sees me just as if I'd born the sin. Of the cross, the active and passive obedience of Christ that I put my trust in leads to the reception of this passive righteousness, this imputed righteousness that makes me and you right with God. God justifies the ungodly. Now you need to know that it's taken me years and years and years to rest in the finished work of Christ. When I first became a Christian, my life was miserable because though I knew I was forgiven and had eternal life, I didn't feel God's delight. I didn't feel I was right with God. I just felt like I was forgiven. And I wrestled with, though I know I'll be in heaven. I don't sense God's presence on earth. It got so bad that I went to see a counselor. And this counselor did the strangest thing. He uh, he told me to close my eyes, and that felt weird. So I closed my eyes, and he said, what do you see? I said, dude, my eyes are closed. I don't see anything. He said, no, work with me. What do you see? I said, okay, I see dark. He said, well, well, where are you? I said, I don't know. He said, Well, put out your arms and, and feel around. Where are you? And then the wildest thing is it began to be a sort of a vision in my mind. And I said, Well, I, I, I feel walls that are rock and they have some water dripping down. I, I'm in a cave. He said, Well, what are you going to do? I said, Well, as I turn around and look, I see a, I see a light at the other end. He said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I guess I'll walk toward it. So in my mind's eye, my imagination, I'm walking toward it. It's getting brighter. I get to the entrance, and it's a rock cliff out that entrance. A thousand feet below, filled with rocks and a huge river that seemed really tiny. He said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm I'm not going to jump. He said, well, then what are you going to do? I said, "Well, I guess I'll turn around." So I turned around in my mind's eye, and I walk, and I realize there's another light at the other end of the cave. And I keep walking, and I get there, and I, and what I see is is something out of uh, the 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 animated feature uh, Song of the South. I mean, Mister Bluebird. There's a there's a an alleyway, and there's a fence, and there's animals, and and. Just, it's so peaceful. It's like the Garden of Eden. And I'm describing this to the counselor. And he said, "Uh, Bob, let me ask you something. I said, yes, sir. He said, what are you doing in a cave? And then he said, open your eyes. He says, I want you to wrestle with that question. What are you doing in a cave? And over time, I realized I was in a cave because of my miserable unbelief. I wasn't putting my faith in the justifying power of grace. I I wasn't putting my hope in the active and passive obedience of Christ. I wasn't putting my faith in imputed righteousness. I wasn't resting in passive righteousness, a righteousness that I don't lift a finger to perform, but receive it. And guess what? It was soon after that, I left the cave. Putting your faith in the justifying power of grace is a game changer. And then secondly, live by faith in the sanctifying power of grace. Notice, Verse 4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith. In other words, it's not just a one-time act where I actually begin to rest in the finished work of Christ. But the more I continue to believe the gospel in the finished work of Christ, it begins to transform me. This is what Paul says in Romans 1, 17. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith. To faith. In other words, from justifying faith to sanctifying faith. There's a converting power of grace that we trust, justification, and then there's a sanctifying power of grace that we also trust. We believe God to do a continued work of grace in us. Paul says in Romans that the gospel is the power of God to save to save us from hell and sin's penalty, and to save us from the power of sin in our lives as well. Now, we need to understand the difference between faith in the justifying power of grace and faith in the sanctifying power of grace. When it comes to justification, it's an imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of someone else that is declared declared to be true of me, and I can have assurance and confidence that I'm right with God. Sanctification involves receiving an imparted righteousness. In other words, through the same faith in the same Jesus, I trust That not only does he pay for my sins and live obediently for me, justification, but I can trust him to actually pour out in my life the power of his resurrection so that I begin to live now an active righteousness. Justification brings me a passive righteousness. I receive it. Sanctification, trusting God to give the life of Christ to me in deeper measure, that leads to an active righteousness. There's an imparted righteousness that is promised in the gospel as well. It also involves union with Christ, just like justification did. Union with Christ is, first of all, me in Christ. Sanctification involves the faith of believing that Christ is in me. And as I yield my life to Christ by faith, I begin to experience transformation and change. You may have heard this as abiding in Christ or the spirit-filled life. Whatever you want to call it, It's as we appropriate the power of Christ in our lives to live that we're changed. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3, verse 5. He said, Does God supply you the Spirit, the supernatural work of the Spirit, because of your performance and your effort or because you believe the gospel? And again, it's because we believe the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18... Paul says, as we behold Christ, in other words, as we continually trust Him, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Another story that I like to tell uh, occurred some time ago in St. Petersburg, Russia. I told you about the cave. I call this story of my life, the museum. I had the privilege of leading uh, four couples to Christ in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I didn't have any materials to leave with them that would help ground them and grow them in the faith. But there was a museum in St. Petersburg called the Russian Museum. And that museum was filled with art by Russian painters, and much of it was biblical art. So I had them meet me at the Russian Museum with their translator, and I asked them to bring a pen and a notebook. And one by one, I took them through the biblical paintings and was able to help them learn about the Bible just through the paintings themselves because they didn't have Bibles. And I was able to teach them about the Christian life. Well, one of the paintings that was in one of the rooms that we walked into was this massive painting of Numbers 21, verses four through nine. That's the account where the people of Israel are grumbling at Moses and grumbling at God. They hate the food um, they don't like wandering in the wilderness. And God sends uh, venomous, uh, poisonous snakes to bite them. And uh, then they cry out, said, we've sinned. And they ask Moses to pray for them. And Moses is told by God to put a serpent on a pole. And anyone who looks at the serpent will live. Now, the first element of looking at the serpent was realizing that that serpent represented Christ because Christ refers to it in John 3 as Moses lifted up the serpent so the Son of Man might be lifted up. And the look of faith brought the declaration of righteousness, passive righteousness. But then the look of faith also released supernatural power that neutralized the snakes, neutralized the venom, The venom of the snakes represent the venom of sin in our lives, even as Christians. And you're not changed by trying harder. You're not changed by trying to get rid of the snakes. You're changed by that continual look of faith, recognizing that Christ is in us, and we appropriate that. We receive the life of Christ to live through us. This is where waltzing comes in. At Oak Mountain, we have a, a picture of the Christian life that we call waltzing. Waltzing's a three-step dance, right? Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. We repent of our sin. What do you need to be repenting of these days? Uh, as we go through this COVID crisis, um, I find myself sometimes not realizing that I'm more stressed than I think I am. And I've noticed that I've snapped at people. Uh, I've noticed that at times my fuse is a little short. And at that point, I recognize there's the venom of sin. So what do I do? The first thing I do is repent. I just agree with God that, God, this is evidence that I'm still a sinner, even though I'm saved, even though I'm justified. God justifies the ungodly. I still see ungodliness in me. But I don't stay in that repentance. I go to the next step of believe. What do I believe? I believe the first point all over again. I believe that God justifies the ungodly that God hasn't turned his back on me, that I don't need to do anything to get God to turn his back toward me. I simply need to believe that my standing in Christ hasn't changed. I'm still in Christ. My my life is still hidden in Christ before God. And so that deals with the shame and the guilt. And I'm able to rejoice that the Father still loves me and I'm still adopted as well as justified. But then... I look afresh to Jesus, this time not for justifying grace, but for sanctifying grace. And just as the look of faith released power from God to neutralize venom in Numbers 21, my look of faith in the midst of my repentance releases supernatural power that transforms me. And then that leads to the fight step of the waltz. There is a life to live. And and I need to exercise my renewed will empowered by the Spirit to make every effort to be less short, to be less angry. I need to read the Word. I need to stay still in the midst of the stress. I need to receive God's peace. I need to pray. I need people to hold me accountable. I need to ask Laurie, if I'm short with you, please tell me. So I can waltz. You see, it's as we continue to live by faith in the sanctifying power of grace that we're changed. You know, when Mary was told that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, Luke 1.38, Mary responds to God's promise. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. That's the Christian life from start to finish. That's the Christian life from A to Z. When it comes to my being right with God, be it done to me according to your word. I need to believe it. I need to receive it. When it comes to transformation, be it done to me according to your word, according to your promise. And then thirdly, live by faith in the persevering power of grace. In verse three, God tells Habakkuk, The vision still awaits its appointed time. Now, you need to know that the vision was uh, taking its time, in a sense, before it to be fulfilled. It was 80 years from the time Habakkuk received the vision to the time when the Babylonians were finally defeated. And remember, the Babylonians are representative, though they're historical, they're representative of all evil and all sin. And Habakkuk in receiving the vision from God also received not just the message of of Babylon's defeat, but also the means of the ultimate defeat of evil and sin through the coming of Jesus. And it is over 600 years till that vision came to fruition. And of course, the destruction of the Babylonians is emblematic of the destruction of all sin. And it's been 2,600 years from our day to Habakkuk's day, and we still await the vision being fulfilled. So we must live with endurance and run the race with endurance that is set before us. In verse 5, there's a brief definition of all of the sin and evil of the Babylonians. It talks about wine being a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. The Babylonians were, were known for their lives of luxury and ease and complacency. And we're to see in our own lives, even as Christians, that we still have a bent toward complacency and apathy when it comes to spiritual things. And we need to repent, believe, and fight, and persevere. Through that, his greed is as wide as Sheol, like death, it never has enough. The self indulgence of the Babylonians knew no bounds. And as Christians, we still wrestle with self indulgence as well, don't we? He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This is emblematic of the devil that wants to keep all the nations enslaved. So what do we have here in verse five? We have the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three enemies of the Christian. And we need to endure through faith. But here's the good news. God not only gives us the promise of the power of justifying grace, he not only gives us the promise of the power of sanctifying grace, he also gives us the promise of the power of persevering grace. How? James 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. Not just justifying, not just sanctifying, but persevering grace. The song that we sing as we conclude our service every single week called Faultless. It's from Jude 24 and 25. And it talks about how God is able to make us stand Faultless before his throne. In other words, he will give us the grace to persevere. And we need to look in faith, in promise, in the promise of persevering grace. One of the other places besides the passages I've already mentioned where Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is quoted is Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews ten, the author says, "You have need of endurance, so that when you are done, you will receive what is promised." Again, that that agony of waiting for faith to be turned to sight, to actuality in all of our experience, but it happens as we persevere by God's grace. In verse three of Habakkuk, Habakkuk two, he says. Uh, the, the author of the Hebrew quotes that in verse 37. Yet a little while and the coming one will come. Interestingly, Habakkuk talks about the, the vision will come. It will not delay. But the author of the Hebrews says the vision is ultimately Jesus. Jesus will come and will not delay. Jesus will come to us in our need for Endurance. Just as Jesus came as was promised in the incarnation in the first coming, and just as the vision of Jesus coming to conquer all evil at the second coming, Jesus will come as we believe the promise of persevering grace. And then Hebrews 10, 38, he quotes Habakkuk 2, verse 4. But my righteous one shall live by faith. You know, I sometimes wrestle with envy. It's one of the seven deadly sins. I wrestle with envy and jealousy when I look upon older pastors. When I look upon pastors who, they're almost at the finish line. They've run the race. They finished their course. They're retired. Now, I envy that. Not because I'm tired or not because I'm anywhere near ready to retire. I envy them because they've made it without falling off the rails and sometimes when i see older pastors i just long for god to take me there instantaneously sometimes i even wonder god am i ready for you just to take me home because i don't want to mess up like david or like peter And so I become envious and I look longingly upon the lives of these pastors. And then God reminds me of the promise of persevering grace God, I'll be with you just as I have been with them. It's not their goodness, it's not their discipline that they've not gone off the rails. It's that they hoped and trusted and rested in my persevering grace. One day, faith shall be turned to sight. But for now, we live by faith. We live by faith in the justifying power of grace. We live by faith in the sanctifying power of grace. And we live by faith in the persevering power of grace. Are you living by faith this morning? Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody watching this morning that maybe for the first time the light switch has been turned on and they realize what it means to be right with you through justifying grace, God, may today be the day they express that faith and even more so, rest truly in the promise so you could count it to them as righteousness. Father, for those of us who are struggling with sin in our lives right now, all the sin that may be bubbling up through this crisis, God, may we waltz and may we hope in the power of Jesus in us, sanctifying grace. And Lord, for those of us who feel like we just can't can't hang on anymore, whether it's a marriage or financial issues, all kinds of struggles. We're just hanging by our fingernails about to give up. God, remind us, we're not going to make it because we're good. We're not going to make it because we're disciplined. We're going to make it as we look to you for persevering grace. God, thank you for Habakkuk and this verse that in many ways is the most important verse in all of Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand and hold out your arms wherever you are and receive the promise of God's grace that justifies, sanctifies, and enables you to persevere. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba Father, and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.